God's word. It's what we go through. It's what we go by. It's our playbook. I told somebody recently uh, that was asking about my past, and, and uh, I told him I came out of coaching high school football, and God called me into coaching still in just a different playbook, uh, that, that God wants me to still help insert his offense. I'm afraid that our, the Christianity of America today has fallen too much defensive-minded, that we've fallen back into a posture of just trying to keep the enemy out rather than moving forward onward Christian soldiers. And, and so today we continue in this book of Jonah, and I'm trying to break the mold of, of what we may have been taught as children, uh, this, uh, this children's story of it's about a big fish and this guy who got swallowed by fish. It's so much more than that, isn't it? It is. And so turn in your Bibles to Jonah. Today we're in chapter 3. Of, of this great story. I appreciate uh, David and his heart for worship and leading us this morning. So, so be prepared for your third sermon today. Thank you, Jay, for sharing with us and Rory for sharing with us. Uh, we continue. You see the title of your, on your outline, and I hope you picked one of those up on your way in. Today is, an, is about the eight-word sermon. Not my eight-word sermon, because I've already gone over that, but Jonah's eight-word sermon. We're going to look into that. Before we start, let me pray. Lord, we continue to bow our hearts before you, and we come to adore you, for you alone are worthy. Father, I lift up every individual that is here today, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak straight to the depths of their heart. Lord, I pray that you would use my mouth as your mouthpiece today. Lord, would you subtract me from this equation and you completely fill me and this room. And do what you want to do, Lord. As we sang earlier, we, we lay ourselves down before you. Give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I just said eight men. Hey, today's sermon, today's message, chapter 3, uh, just a recap, we, if you look back real quick at chapter 1, I mean, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, he said, go to, go to Nineveh, Jonah said, I don't think so, can't stand those people, I'm going the other direction. So Jonah flees, uh, not by land, which is how he would have traveled to get to Nineveh, he travels by boat to go to the farthest places on the earth that he can. He gets out in the middle of the sea, and the Lord sends a great storm on the sea. The sailors on the boat realize that something's going on. This is natural. This is not natural because we've been at sea many times, and this storm that's happening today is not like any other storm. So they go hunting. What's the deal? What's going on? What's caused this? They draw lots, and it falls on Jonah. Jonah, what is the deal? He's like, it's my fault. It's my fault. Throw me into the sea. And they said, well, no, we can't do that, man. We don't want your blood on our hands. So uh, they... They, they talk with God. Isn't it interesting that the people that are far from God are the ones that reach out to God, and the, God's prophet is the one that's running from the presence of the Lord? So they throw him in the sea, and God appoints a great fish, comes and swallows him up, spends three days, three nights in the belly of that fish, 
And we pick up in chapter 3 today, right after the whale, or the big fish, vomited him onto the shore. So, I want to read the chapter. It's 10 verses. Not, it's not long. Um, I want to read it in its entirety, and then we'll, we'll go back and we'll kind of walk through verse by verse. So, if you'll stand with me, if you're able, in honor of reading God's word. Again, I hope you have your Bibles. I encourage you to bring those with you. Some have a hard copy. Some have a digital copy. Just as long as you've got God's Word, man. Got to have it. I have it on the screen for you if, if you need that. Chapter 3 of Jonah. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. <clears throat> Jonah began to go into the city, going, in, going a day's journey. He called out, here's your eight-word sermon, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word of the Lord reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published, th published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil ways, his evil way, and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said that he would do to them, and he did not do it. May God bless the reading of his word into our hearts. Amen. Please, please be seated. So in verse 1, we see that this is kind of the, the big thing. If, theme. If you'll turn back to chapter 1, verse 1, it's almost an identical verse. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. It's almost as if God's saying, okay, let's try this again. Uh, we had to do some, some weird things out there to get your attention, so let's try this again. Arise, verse 2, arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message. Well, what is the message? We'll see that in a few verses. So Jonah arose. He got up. Now, today I'm going to ask you as much as we possibly can. We don't have a lot of details, but some of you know I have an imagination when it comes to these things. There's Joel's world that's happening. I mean, what did he look like with the slime that was all over him from being in the gut of a fish for three days? I mean, was his hair all nasty? He talked about having seaweed wrapped around him. Just, was he picking stuff out of his teeth? I mean, what? get up and go to Nineveh. So he did. He got up. I wonder what was going through his mind, that traveling from where he was, wherever he got spit out on the sea, walking to Nineveh. 
I'm sure it was pleasant, 70-degree weather, nice and cool. And Jonah started his journey to the great city of Nineveh. Now, we got to remember that Nineveh was, uh, it was the capital city of the great world power, the Assyrian Empire. Jonah was on his way there. History records the brutality of, of the Assyrian people of that day. I mentioned that in our first week of how they would conquer people. They would burn entire cities to the ground. They would take their leaders. They would skin them alive in front of the people of their city. They would require women uh, and children to carry long sticks with the head, the decapitated head of their husband and father on the top of that stick. They would cut all the limbs off of people except one arm so that they would be able to shake hands with their captors. Uh, they would shake hands with their, the people that just conquered them as they bled to death. I mean, these were cruel, cruel people. And in chapter 1, verse 1, God says to, to, to Jonah, go to them. He said, I don't think so. We get to chapter 3, he says, go to him. He said, okay. <laughs> and I want you to tell him the message that, I've been, uh, that I put on your heart. So he goes. Tells us how big this city. Guys, you just need to keep in mind that Nineveh was uh, equivalent, uh, we would call it Sin City today. What's our, what do we call Sin City today? What city is that? Las Vegas? bigger. Uh, three days walk, it says, across the city. And he goes marching one day, a one-day walk into the center of the city to deliver an eight-word message. Verse 4 tells us, Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey, and he called out this eight-word sermon. Now, this is Joel's world. Hold on just a second. He probably didn't have a chair like this. It probably wasn't cushioned. He probably didn't have a chair at all. But in my mind, he had a box. A soap box. That he gets to the middle of the city. The town probably is aware that there is a foreign prophet that is walking through this city. And, and here's Joel's world. <clears throat> I've been looking forward to telling y'all this message for a long time. <laughs> Yet 40 days, I can't wait. And Nineveh shall be overthrown. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Can you just see it on his face? Did Nineveh want, or I'm sorry, did Jonah want Nineveh to turn to God and repent? So, no, I mean, we, real quick, we're, I don't want to get ahead of us too far, but go to chapter 4, verse 1 real quick. Because ultimately they turn, and God relents. We, we just read that. Chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. He didn't want to see him turn. So in my mind, he's standing on a soapbox. There, there probably wasn't a soapbox. 
and had this gloating look on his face. <laughs> Guess what's going to happen to you in 40 days? Eight-word sermon. And I want you to notice the beginning of verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God. This is God's prophet. This is Yahweh's prophet, the one who's been running from God. He comes and walks a day's journey into the middle of the city and proclaims eight words. And you would think that it says, you think that the author would have written, and the people of Nineveh believed Jonah. But it says they believed God. They perceived that there's something going on here that's bigger than just this guy that delivered an eight-word sermon. History records that Assyria in those days had gone through famines. They had gone through violence. They had gone through several natural disasters. And some historians and theologians would say that, that that prompted and prepared the heart of the Ninevites for this prophet to come in town and preach this eight-word sermon and then go, whoa. And they believe God. How is it? How is it that that Jonah can preach eight words and an entire city believe God. It's God at work. I mean, that's God's stuff. That's, that's not this guy who's half-heartedly preaching a message. I'm here because God told me to. I tried running from him. <laughs> Look at me. Now, these people perceived that God was up to something. And it says they believe God. How, can, how, how is it possible to use a prophet that's only sharing half-heartedly? And people turn, an entire city turns towards God. How is that possible? How is it possible that these people that are far from God repented, yet it took miraculous events to get the prophet of God to turn and obey God? While Jonah was physically obeying, his heart was not in it. We don't know his motives, yet we look at chapter 4 and we can kind of figure out where his heart was. The author's not clear. But we continue in verse 5. The people of Nineveh believed God and they called for a fast. And they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Here's one of the things I want us to notice today. And we can learn from the Ninevites. We can learn from these people that, that live in Sin City. We can, we can learn from these people that are far from God. Really don't want to have anything to do with God. But when they believed, they acted. It was an active belief. Their belief didn't just result in them saying words, I believe. It resulted in action. And one of the things that I want us to wrestle with today, I mean, come on, team. Let's, when we learn something, when we believe something, do we just acquire head knowledge or does it result in action? It says they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. What is sackcloth? It's, uh, you and I would call it burlap. 
It would be the attire of the lowest of lowly people. Itchy, inexpensive material, they put it on. We are lowering ourselves. And they called for a fast. We, we don't want to do anything except turn our attention to what this God of this Hebrew prophet is talking about. What do my actions and what do your actions look like? I think I asked this a couple of weeks ago. If we were mute from this day forward the rest of our lives, our voice box was removed, would you and I be found guilty of being a follower of Christ? Because people look at my life and look at your life and go, that dude lost with God. That girl, ain't no question. You just, just watch her life. You watch his life. They walk with God. And does my belief result in actions that people I work with, that people you work with, do they, do they see that, do they see your belief, your faith in God? Oh, man, we do a great job on Facebook, don't we? Isn't it so good for us to, to put a verse on Facebook and get two or 300 likes on there? Boom, nailed it. That's so easy because the only people that see our posts are our friends, right? It's our other church folks. Maybe you got some friends that, that aren't uh, a follower of Christ, but church, listen, man. I, today, I think we can learn from the Ninevites to put our faith, to put our belief into action, that we actually do something. People see God in us and through us and how we live our lives. It's important. And I think it's interesting that throughout this story, throughout these four chapters, the people that really respond to what God is doing are the people that are far from God. And it's God's prophet that is always the slowest one to respond. Now, I don't want to get, get in our business at all because I would have to start with me. But sometimes I feel like I'm the slowest one to respond to what I believe, to respond to what God is doing in my life. And you've probably met somebody that, that their life was turned upside down by Jesus Christ. And man, they couldn't wait to tell people about Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? But as the years go by, things settle in. We get comfortable and we slow down in our response to what God is leading and what God is prompting. And today I believe one of the things that we can learn from, from the Ninevites is that their belief turned into action. And is that true of me and is it true of you? Well, we keep going. Verse 6. I, I, want, I don't want to skip this. I don't want to get ahead of myself. I, I, I put in here verse 12 of 1 Peter chapter 2, I want us to see this. Peter, Peter says these words, keep your conduct among Gentiles honorable so, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. Church, let's let those people that we are near at work, those people in our homes, see our good deeds, that they may glorify God. They may sing hallelujah, 
holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You know, our, our Western culture <clears throat> is pretty quick to say, uh, I believe, so I'm okay. I, I, I believe. And we leave it there. We don't see that in the Ninevites. We see an active belief. Verse 6. The word reached the king, and he arose from his throne. And he put on sackcloth. He even went further than that. He even went further than stepping off of his throne. That's a big deal for a king to step off his throne, right? To step down off his throne. In 2008, Catherine and I were part of a mission team that went to Beijing, China uh, for the Olympics. And we, were, we met with missionaries that were there, and we, uh, we passed out. The big theme that year was more than gold. Jesus Christ is worth more than gold. And so that was kind of our theme as we met with people there in Beijing. But uh, while we were there, we went to the Temple of Heaven. There's a picture of it up here on, on the screen. And it's been there for, I don't know, a few centuries. Uh, I mean, it's extremely old. And the, the guide that was showing us around, he said, this is the place that one time a year the emperor of China would come to the temple of heaven. And it was the only time that the emperor would bow to anything. See, this was, supposed, this was uh, the residence of Shangdi, the, the big god, the ultimate god. And the emperor of China would come and bow to what he would say was the one true emperor, Shangdi. It's a big deal for a king to step down off his throne, to lower himself, much less to put on the clothing of the lowest of people. Much more than that, to sit down in dust. See, their faith, their belief was an active belief. We can learn a lot from the Ninevites. We can learn a lot from the king. So what does that have to do with us? It's a big deal for Joel to step down off his throne. You know that? And it's a big deal for you to step down off your throne and humble yourself, humble myself before the king of kings, the one true emperor, Jesus Christ. It's a big deal. And we have a hard time with that at times because it's real important for us to be right, isn't it? Just tell me I'm right. <laughs> we want to be right. But for you and I to step down off the throne of our heart and humble ourselves before the King of Kings and say, not my will, but your will be done. Where you say go, even if it's to Nineveh, those sorry, mean, cruel people, I'll go. You say stop, I'll stop. You say go, I'll go. For that to happen, we need to step down off our throne. See, there's a lot we can learn from the people of Nineveh, the king of Nineveh. How are you and I putting into action our faith? Verse 7, he issued this proclamation and published it throughout Nineveh, a decree 
uh, from the king, let neither man nor beast. I mean, even their animals. This is extreme (laughs) proclamation. Don't let them taste anything, food or water. Their belief resulted in action. And it is a good place for you and I to stop and do some self-examination. Is it true of me? Is it true of my life? Look at verse 8. We get to the good stuff. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn. Circle that word, turn. It's the Hebrew word shub. It means to turn, go go in the opposite direction. You and I are familiar with the word repent. To turn. In verses 8 through 10, this word shows up four times. We need to take note of that. We need to be mindful of this, this theme in these last verses of this chapter of turning. He says, he says, let everyone, this is the king talking to the people, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hand. Verse 9, who knows? God may shub. God may turn from his way, from his, his fierce anger that we may not perish. He's speaking this to the people of his culture, of his society. Church, can listen. Can we think of a more relevant topic for our society? To turn to God. Now, we don't have any evidence. There's no evidence in this chapter or historically that they turned to Yahweh and that we see a spiritual revival. We don't see that, and it doesn't communicate that in our text. It does communicate a turn of behavior, that they turn from their evil and their violence. But there's nothing in here that tells us, and there's nothing that that shows up in other texts, biblically or historically, that says that there was a revival spiritually amongst the Ninevites. But they turned, and God noticed. God noticed their change. And he relented. Jonah wasn't crazy about that. Jonah wanted a full dose of judgment on those people, didn't he? Huh? I mean, we read the Old Testament, man. God judged people, boy. Boom. The hammer fell. Jonah wanted judgment on the Ninevites and that gloating that was on his face when he was preaching that eight words. Y'all about to get tore up. And I can't wait. See, Jonah liked getting grace when he was in the belly of the fish, didn't he? But he sure didn't want to see God giving it to someone else, especially those sorry folks. Now, is that real different from us? Catherine's told a story in the past of uh, her driving home from school one day. And she's driving down the street, and she looks up, and on the side of the road, there's two boys fighting. One, one of the boys has the other kid down on the ground on his back and is just wailing, just wailing on him. 
Catherine drives by, and she's like, oh, mm -mm, I don't think so. So she turns around, circles back, and pulls up beside him, rolls down her window, and she starts getting on this guy that's beating up this other kid. I mean, she's, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but she's chewing them out. And they stand up, and, and especially the kid that was on top was like, we're brothers, we're just messing around. She's like, I ain't buying it. She offers her cell phone to the kid that was getting beat up for him to call a parent. He's, no, I'm fine, I'm, I'm fine, okay, I'm okay. She sticks around until they start walking off. That judgment that she was pouring out on that kid on top, that was a loving act, wasn't it? It was loving to one that was getting beat up. <laughs> but I would suggest that it was loving towards the one that was doing the beating as well. Young man, if you continue down this road of bullying, things aren't going to turn out well. And see, we want a judging God, don't we? We want God to hold people accountable for their deeds, don't we? People that, that are just, well, we could describe the people of Nineveh again. We want God to be judging. And so how does that mix? Hold on, I think one of these books back here talks about a day of judgment that's coming. <laughs> and every knee will what? Oh, the day's coming. But then when we get to the New Testament, and it's God is love. God is a loving God. And how does that intersect? I would suggest that God's judgment is loving. If Catherine drove right by and didn't stop and just kept on going, it would have displayed a certain amount of apathy in her heart, huh? Uh, oh, well, somebody else will do something. Somebody else will do that. We don't want that in our God, do we? God cares. God cares about how people are being treated. God cares how we treat people. He cared about how the Ninevites were treating people, that's for sure. Chapter 1, verse, verse 1 uh, go to the great city and, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. God cares about how people are treated. Someone today might need to hear this. God hears and cares about what you're going through. He cares. And God is a loving God. Jonah didn't want extreme grace to go to them, though he liked it when he got it. And it's not real different from us. If some of you have driven down Flanders, which is the street right out, not Quincy, but Flanders route, you know that at the bottom of the hill down here is the longest light in the Denver metro area. <laughs> huh? I mean, it stays red for 30 or 45 minutes <laughs> while, you're, while you're waiting. Turns green for about five seconds. Yellow for a second. Well, that's how I go home from work nearly every time I go home. I'll come over the edge of the hill and I'll look down there and it's green. So what do I do? I floor it. <laughs> and inevitably, well before I get to the intersection, it turns yellow. So what do I do? Floor it. <laughs> don't act like y'all don't do that either. Don't even try. 
Hey, so, I, and I bottom out down there at the bottom, and, and I make my way. Now, their light going crossway on tower has already turned green. And sometimes I get a look from that person that's first in line waiting on me. What look do I get? Really? Some, I don't know that anyone's ever told me I was number one or anything like that, but uh, you can see in their face, you chump. And I'm just hoping that they would give me a little grace. But you know what I do? <laughs> when I'm sitting first in line and somebody runs that orange light, I give them the same look. Huh? Are you with me? Man, that's, I mean, we can relate with the people of, with Jonah. I like it when people show me grace, but then when it's my turn, sometimes I'm slow to give out grace. If you haven't noticed, this book of Jonah is so much more than just about a fish. The theme of extreme grace is woven all through here. Now let's stop for a second. Are there people in your life you just need to cut them a break? I'm going to stop there for a second. You want grace. But there's some people in your life, man, I'm just hard on. I don't like them. hope they get fired. And this theme of grace is just running through here. Now let's go back up to verse 6 real quick. And notice what the king of Nineveh did. He stepped down off his robe, his throne. He took off his royal robe. He put on sackcloth, the clothing of the lowest of low people. And I want you to compare that to what Jesus Christ, our Savior, did for me and for you. You talk about extreme grace. Jesus stepping down off his throne in heaven and putting on skin of humanity and walking through life, experiencing everything that we experience, temptation, he experienced everything, and he did it without sin. At the end of his life, at the end of his ministry, he who knew no sin became sin. He took on every sin of the world, every sin of mine and yours, and he bore it on the cross. And he took my punishment, he took your punishment. Listen, grace is all through here. God's extreme grace. Jonah liked it when he got it. He was slow to hand it out, especially if it was somebody he didn't like. Is there somebody that you need to step down off your throne <laughs> and show some grace? Is it a child? Is it a spouse? Is it a friend? Somebody that hurts you? It's just time for grace. 
unmerited, undeserved favor. There's no telling what that would do for a relationship. There's no telling what that would do for a marriage, a friendship. If grace, unmerited favor, was inserted. Hmm. You know, thinking about what Jesus did for us, it's just a reminder that God wants to restore me and he wants to restore you through grace, not judgment. Judgment's coming. But he would much rather restore you and I to relationship through grace. By placing your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, admitting the sin, asking for forgiveness from Jesus, and trusting in him to be your Savior, and then following him, following his ways, living by his playbook all the days of your life. Grace. Well, next week, chapter 4, we're going to see that God's grace to these people sends Jonah in a tailspin again. Because he didn't like it. He didn't like it. Let's be silent for just a moment and allow God to have the last word. Maybe God wants to say something to you about offering grace to someone in your life. Maybe God wants to speak straight to your heart about shub, turning, turning from that direction you're going in and turning towards him. Let's take just a moment and allow God to have the last word here. Father, as we come before you in the time of just response, our time with you, Lord, I wonder if there's somebody in the room today that you've placed on their heart, there's someone they need to show grace to, and it's going to be difficult. We thank you for Jonah's story and how he, it's just honest, it was hard. He obeyed, he went to the people and and he preached, but it was hard. And today I'm wondering as we're sitting here talking with God, if there's someone that would say, Joel, that's me. I know exactly who I should be showing grace to, but it is hard. And I'd love to pray for you. So if that describes you, will you do me a favor, just look up, make eye contact with me. As soon as we make eye contact, got it, got it. I see it. Got it, got it. Lord, I pray that your hand of favor, your hand of courage and wisdom would fall upon these that are, that just being honest, It's hard. I know I should. It's just hard. Lord, thank you for the example of of Jonah who obeyed. 
Lord, thank you for the example of Jesus who came and showed grace to those that turned their back on him over and over. Those who spat in his face, he shows grace. Lord, I, I, I just lift up my friends to you today and ask that you would empower them with your spirit to do just that. Lord, I pray that you'd revitalize, restore a friendship, a relationship. That they would walk forward in wisdom. Things may not be the same, but being gracious is so much like you. And we want to be more like you every day. So Lord, grant them that, I pray. I also lift up those that are in the room that today is the day that you've pointed out to them. They need to turn. Shub is a word that, that uh, is real for them in this moment. They're headed in a direction in their life that, that is not your direction. And today, Lord, is a day of turning, turning to you. And Lord, I pray that, that they would, it would turn into action in their life. That people would see you and them living out your presence in their life, Lord. Would you do that in, in each one of their hearts? Do that in my heart, Lord. Start with me. If there's anything in me, examine my heart, know my heart. If there's anything in me that's not pleasing to you, Lord, make it known. And, and Lord, I want to, to look and follow you closer and closer every day. I pray this all in your name. Amen. Church, we're going to stand and, and respond in song for just a few minutes. And, and if you would like prayer, I would be glad to pray with you. And, and uh, we'll conclude our service in just a moment.